Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host and local infertility sleuth, Millie Brooks. Welcome, everyone. This is episode 71, and today we are going to look at the role menstrual health has in your fertility journey. With us today to unpack this topic is Dr. Caroline Floyd, who practices acupuncture and Chinese medicine in Sacramento, California. Welcome, Dr. Floyd. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Millie. I have so many people and so many patients who are listening to your podcast, and it's just, I love what you're doing for the fertility community, all the resources you share. So thank you for having me. Oh, that warms my heart. I I love hearing that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, let's start off with you telling everyone how you got into acupuncture with a fertility focus. Yeah. So um, in your fourth year of the doctorate program, you are an acupuncture doctorate program. You start seeing patients and the patients kind of have no idea like who you are. They just call the clinic and then the clinic kind of puts them with you. And so I started treating fertility patients. Somehow I would always get fertility patients and I, um, I loved it. I bringing someone through the process of, you know, trying to conceive and trying to understand like why they're not able to, and then having, helping them have a child was extremely rewarding. Um, and so it kind of started there in clinic. And then when I graduated, I moved to Sacramento and I wanted to kind of dive into the fertility world. Um, so I accepted a position at a clinic in Sacramento that only treats fertility, um, acupuncture. So we treat like anyone who's going through natural fertility treatments or anyone who is going through an IVF or an IUI. And then we work with the two clinics up here, the IVF clinics, and we go on site for pre and post acupuncture embryo transfer treatment. So I was kind of thrown into the world of fertility, um, that first year. And I felt such a connection with my patients. I mean, I, my patients would, anyone going through the fertility journey, you know, I feel like oftentimes they're not listened to a lot. Um, and so my, my patients and I, I felt like I was like part of their family. They would send me ultrasound videos and heartbeat videos and oftentimes like I would find out in the treatment room that they were pregnant before they even told their partner. Um, and sometimes they'd come see me and I would feel their pulse and, you know, it feel like it would feel like a pregnant pulse. Um, and I tell them, you know, I think that you should go home and take a pregnancy test and they would, and they'd be pregnant. So I like, I felt like I was just involved in so many aspects of their life that I wasn't in like in other treating other things. Um, with acupuncture. And then also kind of the more that I dove into women's health and fertility. Yeah. I realized like how much there is lacking in support for women's health and fertility and how oftentimes people and patients don't feel like they're being listened to, or they feel like they're getting the runaround or like their doctors aren't advocating for them to get to the bottom of, you know, why they're having trouble conceiving or, or things like that. So it just kind of further dedicated me to the field. I love how you said pregnancy pulse. Like, what is the difference between a normal, healthy pulse and a pregnancy pulse? 
Yeah. So one of the things that we look at as Chinese medical practitioners, we have two main diagnostic tools. One is the tongue. So we'll look at your tongue, um, which people always think it's really weird, especially first patient, like first time patients. I'm like, will you stick your tongue out at me? And they're like, I just ate. And you know, they, I had onions for breakfast, but um, that's not what we're looking at. Um, but yeah, we look at tongue and then I also feel the pulse. And when you have in Chinese medicine, there's 28 different like pulses. Um, one of them is a pregnancy pulse and a pregnancy pulse feels a lot stronger than a normal pulse because when you're pregnant, your red blood cells like triple. And so when I'm typically feeling a patient's pulse, it feels, um, like it's, it's hitting my fingers at a normal rate versus when you're pregnant, you can feel that there's like just so much more circulation happening and so much more blood flow. And so especially if I've known a patient for a long time and I've been feeling their pulse weekly, I'm like, I think that you need to go take a pregnancy test and get back to me. And oftentimes they're like, you were right. You know, I get an email a couple hours later. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That must that must feel so amazing to be able to predict that and tell people, uh, you should probably go take a test. Yeah. It does it does feel amazing. I always am like I wait until I'm very sure because the last thing I want is, you know, anyone struggling and maybe they're super stressed and their pulse is that high, you know, that day. So I I obviously make sure that it's a patient that I've been with for a long time and I know their pulse really well. But it, you definitely have a pregnancy pulse. How has COVID shifted the way you practice Chinese medicine and acupuncture? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, in California, we're considered primary care physicians. And so we were lucky in that we were able to stay open when only essential um, practices were, were told to stay open. So we were able to stay open, um, but all of our like sanitation procedures just kind of skyrocketed. We, you know acupuncture, we clean everything in between patients anyways, but now instead of just changing the sheets and, um, we would change the sheets. We have like a plastic layer underneath the sheet too, that we Lysol. We're Lysoling like all of the, um, tables and counters and doorknobs and bathroom in between each patient. Um, so it takes, it's, it takes a lot longer to make it feel COVID safe. Um, I'm in a mask, the patient's in a mask and no one is, you're not seeing any other, um, patients, you're only seeing me and check out and everything. We're not touching credit cards, things like that. And obviously if anyone is feeling sick or any symptoms, you get a test and you don't come in. And so it's definitely changed our sanitation procedures, but you know, I would say like 70% of my patients are fertility patients. And as you know, fertility patients are resilient and aren't going to quit unless they physically have to. And so patients didn't stop coming in. Um, you know, like they, if they felt safe to come in, patients would come in. Um, and we only had one IVF clinic close in the area. So it kind of resumed as normal, just with a lot more sanitation, like implements in it. Got it. Got it. Um, well, let's, let's talk about menstrual health. Um, speak to the role that menstrual health plays in one's fertility story. You say that your period is your hormonal report card. Tell us about your philosophy on that. Yeah. So, um, your, when you think about it, your period is one of the only physical external signs that you get, um, that you can kind of see 
what's happening, like what's going on with your hormones. You can go, you know, into an, an IVF or see your reproductive endocrinologist and they can tell you, you know, with an ultrasound, how your lining looks. And that can be indicative of estrogen or like if you've ovulated and that lets me know that you're luteinizing hormone and progesterone, what's that doing? But we don't have ultrasound machines at home. And so your period is something that tells us what is going on hormonally. Um, so I'm looking at when I'm looking at someone's cycle, I'm looking at if they have PMS, if they have pain and if they do have pain, what's the quality? Is it stabbing? Is it dull? Is it before your period, during your period, after your period? Um, the amount that someone is bleeding on their period, if they're bloating, um, how long they're bleeding and then how long it's been since their last period. So we're always looking at you know, these symptoms because your period's a culmination of the waxing and waning of your hormones. And so the outcome of your period is dependent on how hormones are flowing during the month. Um, and a lot of things have to go right for you to have a regular period. I mean, I'm sure like anyone who's listening has had, has been very stressed and then their period's off or, you know, didn't eat great two weeks leading up to it and notice that they had a little bit more pain. So your period definitely ebbs and flows with your hormones and also just lifestyle choices. And so I have my patients, we look at their period from cycle to cycle, and that's how I'm able to gauge like how much, um, how much we're working on hormone balance and how much improvement we're making there. Amazing. So there's, you ran through a few different factors there, like length, mm -hmm. um, you know, consistency and, um, what else did you say? Oh, um, like flow, like how heavy mm -hmm. it is, the amount, what types of those, what types of things do those indicate? Yeah. So typically, um, you know, as we all know that lining is an important part of your fertility process. So if you're having really heavy periods, typically your endometrial lining could be a little bit thicker and that could be indicative of, um, you know, estrogen dominance or higher estrogen. All of this we can also see by lab work. Most people will come in with lab work too. So we can see like, Oh, your estrogen is, you know, a little bit imbalanced, things like that. But, um, Lighter periods could be indi um, indicative of like having less estrogen. Um, spotting, you know, pre pre period could be indicative of low progesterone. So things like that. So everything can kind of come back to a hormone, and we can also follow it up with the lab work that they've done with the fertility clinic to confirm it. But my goal is to you know to have your period be as much of a surprise as possible. So like you know you know your period's about to come, and then you go to the bathroom and you like see a little bit of blood on your toilet paper and you're like, oh, my period's here. What I don't want is for you to be in like, you know, irritable and crampy and PMSy for a week before, a couple days before. Um, yeah, my goal is to make it as much of a surprise as normal, which tells me like your periods, how they're waxing and waning, it's smoothly. You're not having these like strong dramatic stops of um, or drops of, of hormones. How can women achieve more regular periods? And why is that important when trying to conceive? Yeah. Um, so it's important. I'll kind of answer that first. So it's important when trying to conceive because when you have a regular cycle, you're better able to predict when you're ovulating. Um, and you're better able to predict, like if you're ovulating around the same time every month, 
to me, that tells that that's the time when your endometrial lining is going to be like the most conducive to implantation. So we want to get you to ovulate as regularly as possible. That way you can better predict the timing of intercourse. That way, ideally, your your uterine lining is nice and juicy for implantation. Um, and so that's why it's important for fertility. The more balanced your hormones are, the more regular your periods are, and the more optimize your fertility is. So we'll have patients come in who do BBT charting and, you know, we'll do, we'll see how their BBT um, temperature has progressed. And it gets like, as it gets more biphasic, which it should do during your, your two phases, the more it gets more of like a stereotypically like good chart, they conceive shortly after. So I see it happen all the time. Like their chart gets better, they're feeling better, they're sleeping better. And then they conceive. So um, that's one of the tools we look at and how you can start making your period more regular. I, I always like to give people practical tips that they can start doing at home um, first. So the, my, my big four, I use the acronym SEES, S-E-E-S. So it's sleep, exercise, eat, and stress. Um, and those are things that you can start kind of managing on your own now. And it they affect your, your hormone levels and cycles so much. So sleep, make sure I tell patients at least eight hours a night. Some people just can't, but the goal is eight hours a night. Um, exercise. I don't like to say that you have to do like really intense exercise, but you should be moving your body. So like dancing in your kitchen for 20 minutes or going on a walk with your dog, that counts as exercise. Um, eating, I tell patients mainly whole foods. You want to try and avoid like foods that will cause inflammation for fertility. So try and cook at home as most as you can, um, as best as you can. And then stress management, stress management, which I think if you're going to take anything away from, from the C's protocol, the stress management is the biggest one. Cause there's not one fertility patient who is not super stressed. And I don't want to tell, like, I think it's, I think it's infuriating to tell someone who's stressed to not be stressed. So it's just like, let's look at what's going on. Let's see what factors you can start, like, you know, putting aside or table, say no to things that you want to say no to, like do more of what you love. You know, it's just kind of managing what you're doing better to make you as less stressed as possible. But at the end of the day, it's 2020 and the fertility journey, and there's going to be a stress component. So trying to manage it as best as possible. And then the last thing, which is kind of a no brainer, because I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist is to get acupuncture, um, an acupuncturist who specializes in hormone health and also, um, to get on an herbal formula that's right for you. Amazing. And when you say herbal formula, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So in all acupuncturists in the state of California are also licensed herbalists. So we're trained in Chinese herbal medicine. Um, so I have a, an herbal formula line that I, um, created called Dr. Floyd RX. And it's the herbs that I use in, um, clinic with my patients. And I also, um, just opened up to selling it online, but it's formulas for how your period's going. So let's say that you're someone who has like a really um, heavy period flow or really light period flow or PMS. We give herbs, we'll take PMS for example, I'll give herbs to the patient um, that are, it's Chinese herbal formula that will help the patient feel less like stressed, anxious, irritable, bloating leading up to the period. So things like mint and ginger, a lot of Chinese medicine is like kitchen medicine, um, but all natural herbs that will help that patient in their individual presentation. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, 
What types of fertility-related cases do you see on a regular basis at your clinic? I think that the top one I see is unexplained infertility. Um, I think that's that's the majority of my patients. If I had to say I had a top a top um, case, but unexplained infertility, I see a lot of recurrent miscarriage, um, advanced maternal age. Um, I have a lot of same-sex couples going through IVF and IUI who want to improve their IVF outcomes with acupuncture and have me go on site the day of their embryo transfer. So, um, oh, and then a lot of endometriosis and PCOS. Got it. Wow. And, and it's, am I right to assume that with all different cases, with all different patients that come through your door, there's a different protocol for everyone, which my understanding of acupuncture and Chinese medicine is that's one of the reasons why you can't have such concrete data on this stuff because they're, because you just have a different set of, you know, formula, you, you use a different formula for every different patient. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Everyone has an individualized presentation. And so if like, let's say I'm, I'm treating someone who has like two people who have painful periods. Well, one person may also have some like sleep issues or some stress, stress issues. The other person could have like a lot of digestive upset. So I'm going to throw in herbs or incorporate herbs that have more of like a digestive, um, ease, Or, you know, for the other patient, incorporate herbs that will help sleep and stress. And that way, like they're both getting to the root of, of their period problems, but through different avenues. And so that is one of, you know, the ways that acupuncturists are kind of learning how to, um, like do clinical trials that Western medicine will look at. And there, there have been a lot and the ones that have, they've been done on like you know, mice and things. And a lot of those have come out with positive outcomes. Um, but with like individualized approaches to patients, everything's going to, going to change. Um, and so that's why it's kind of hard to study. Got it. What suggestions do you have for people who are thinking about trying acupuncture for their fertility related, um, issues? So My first big tip would be that you should find someone who specializes in hormone health and uh, women's health. You can do that by like, I would look at places around you, look at their websites, even call in and ask acupuncturists. We'll talk to you about how acupuncture can help and you'll be able to tell if they um, if they treat a lot of fertility and hormone health in their clinic. Um, another thing that's just come out is an ABORM certification, um, A-B-O-R-M, which stands for Acupuncture Board of Oriental and Reproductive Medicine. And so that's like a pretty, um, it's, it is a pretty like intense test that you go through to get the cert- certification. So you can find ABORM practitioners at aborm.org. Um, you just put in like your, um, your zip code and they'll tell you which, which acupuncturists around you have passed that exam. And I think that's a good place to start. Um, and then another thing I'd say is that come to us early. Like I, acupuncture is now becoming more prevalent. Um, and people are starting to realize that, you know, acupuncture can really help with fertility and pain and all of these things. But most of the time we have patients who don't get through our doors until like I've tried everything and 10 IUIs and five IVFs and nothing's working and you're my last hope. And we can still do 
we can still like do great work, even, you know, if you've come to us last, but I want to kind of change the dialogue to coming to us first, coming to us for preconception health, um, to help increase your egg quality, to help with your period problems and get your periods like more regular before you even start trying to conceive. So those would be my, my main tips is come to us earlier than you think. I love that. That's something that I did with my acupuncturist. Like I went and saw her before I started seeing a fertility specialist, an RE. And she was honestly, she was so instrumental in helping me bring questions to my RE. Yeah. You know, it was really helpful to have her as a sounding board, even. Um so is that something that you also suggest? Is that also in your wheelhouse? 100%. I think we are, you know, not only helping your hormones get balanced, but we're also like your advocate, like your friend who's been in this field for a long time. And so, so many of my patients are like, okay, I'm going in for my, you know, my baseline. What should I ask them? Or should I ask them any specific questions about going in, like changing my protocol for this month or things like that? And because, you know, we see patients day in and day out and how they respond to gonalef or how they respond to Minipure. I'm like, okay, well, um, you know, going into an egg retrieval, maybe you have, it sounds like you have a lot of, a lot of eggs. Like I would ask her if you're at risk of hyperstimulation and start, you know, increasing your protein and water intake now. And yeah, it's a, a lot of it is us, um, being like an informative friend and telling them the questions to ask. I love that. Yeah. I mean, you, you just also want another person in your corner who understands your charts and your levels and your, you know, your medical record, mm -hmm. um, who's helping you ask, ask the right things, you know? Um, well, what types of misconceptions, um, happen between Western medicine physicians and, um, Eastern medicine doctors? Cause I know that sometimes there will be a little bit of a, I don't know. There's just a little bit of a disconnect sometimes between mm -hmm. the two. Yeah. Typically I see doctors who are all for acupuncture and then I get the opposite of doctors who are like, eh, well, there's not tons of studies and you know, it can't hurt. But I think that the trend is more now that, um, ac like a lot of acupuncturists are in clinic with the reproductive endocrinologist doing these pre and post transfer treatments. I'm definitely seeing people come around like, oh, wow, this patient has had three unsuccessful transfers. We did acupuncture on the fourth. It worked. So, um, yeah, I think that for misconceptions, the first is that, and this is just misconceptions of acupuncture in, in general, I think that a lot of people think of Chinese medicine as this like new age, hippie, crystal chanting, like sh chakra clearing, you know, I'm going to be whispering <laughs> chants into your ear while you're on the table. And it's very much not that like acupuncturists, we've been trained, um, like we've been trained to know the questions to ask and very much in like a Western medical training and acupuncture is by no means new. Um, you know, it's been around for 23 centuries and is still the primary form of healthcare for 1.4 billion people in China 
So, um, yeah, I think that would be the first misconception is that like, we're, you know, gonna whisper things into your ear and clear chakras. Um, and the second, I think most people and even, um, you know, doctors of Western medicine don't realize how much training we have to, to go through to become an acupuncturist. Um, our master's program, just a master's is four years, which I feel like is one of the longest master's program, um, ever. And it's extremely intense. And we learn a lot of Western medicine. Like we had to do anatomy one, two, and three physiology, you know, one, two, and three pharmacology. And the reason why it's so, um, Western medicine oriented is because we know like our playing fields, we, we know that doctors aren't going to be studying the drug herb interactions of, you know, a Chinese herb. And so I need to be the one that's like, okay, well, if you're on blood thinners, I'm not going to give you Angelica or, you know, I need to be the one that's going to make those decisions. Um, and I'm the one who'll, you know, go to a doctor and say, I, I think that this, I think that you should consider this or things like that. So we've been trained to, um, on like their terms. So I think that a lot of people don't realize how much Western medicine is, is incorporated in our schooling. And on top of a master's of four years and to get your doctorate, it's additional one to two and a half years. So it's a lot of schooling that's like very much based in Western medicine. Um, and that's one thing that when I tell people, they're like, Oh, I thought you had to go to school for like a year and, and then you're good. And it's very much not the case. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. Like I'm really glad it's being it's being honored and respected more mm-hmm. um in western medicine because I I I've always grown up to think that I mean I grew up in the Midwest which, you know, is embedded it's middle America. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of influences from other cultures and other parts of the world. Um and so there was this mentality that like it just um, it wasn't effective, mm-hmm. you know? And then when I moved to California, where there was a lot of, you know, a lot of different influences from other parts of the world, um, especially Asia, um, it was just more respected. It was more incorporated. It was, um, it was just more ingrained in the Western medicine philosophy, yeah, I completely agree. And now like insurance companies are, um, you know, covering acupuncture for pain and for nausea and for all these sorts of things, which is really, really great. We have patients come in like, okay, my insurance company has approved, you know, so that is all steps in the right direction. Um, what makes your blood boil about infertility? How how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> That's I, a typical yeah. answer I get. It, there's a there's people have quite a list, so yeah, go launch into it. We have all the time in the world. I mean, I think that the main thing is the language that we use around uh, fertility and infertility. I think the ling- the language is can be very triggering. Um, like anyone over 35 saying that they have a geriatric pregnancy completely blows my mind. And it makes me extremely frustrated because it's so disheartening and discouraging. And like, I'm like, okay, a geriatric pregnancy, other rant, like other terms I don't particularly love, um, are an incompetent cervix. So when you're pregnant and your cervix starts opening earlier than it should, um, the medical term is an an incompetent cervix, which like I'll have patients walk into my treatment room and they're like, yeah, my doctor told me that I have an incompetent cervix. And we're just like, 
it's just, I, yeah, it's just, it's, it's extremely like, where do you go from there? Wow. Great. Great. Like, okay. I think that they're trying to change that terminology to cervical insufficiency, which like, why wasn't that in the first place? Like, why would we ever use the word incompetent to describe anyone's anatomy? Like it has like a brain that can choose the right and wrong. It just, yeah, it's really frustrating. Um, other things that really get me going are just like how the lack of insurance funding for fertility. I I think that being able to conceive should be basic healthcare. Um, and you know, now enable, like if you are not getting pregnant on your own and you go through an IVF or IUI, you have to take out a loan or you have to borrow money or you have to be rich. And it's just, you shouldn't go broke trying to have a child. And I think that insurance companies should help. Like there's very few patients that come, you know, into our clinic that have an insurance plan that covers even a little bit of their fertility or fertility treatment. And, um, I think that being able to get pregnant, if you're not able to, that means that something is going on and insurance should try and find out what's happening and also help you have a child. So, yeah, I think the lack of, of insurance and, and, not recognizing that fertility is like basic healthcare um, is extremely frustrating. Absolutely. Just accessibility overall. Like I I think there's just way too many hoops that we have to jump through to be able to get any answers. Yeah. You know, like why does being someone with a uterus have to be this hard? Like why we are already, we're already up against a lot, you know, out, out, outside in the real world. And then on top of that, just to get like basic answers to our fertility questions can take, you know, three different practitioners that you've gone to and the first isn't helping and they just say birth control. And the second, you know, it's just so much, it's like a lack of, of resources and support. So, and then at one 100%. other thing. Yeah, go ahead. Is I like on the insurance topic is that you for, you know, I I have a lot of patients who have suffered recurrent miscarriages and all, all, every insurance that I've come across, you have to have three miscarriages in a row without any bursts in between them to get further lab work. Like to get miscarriage lab work, you have to have three miscarriages, which for anyone is like one is traumatic, especially for that one. If you've been trying for years, you know, I don't want to say one is worse than the other, but it's just a different feeling. Um, and so to have to go through that three times before, you know, the insurance that you're paying for monthly hundreds of dollars before that they're going to support you and try to find answers, you have to go through it three times. Like it's just the further I get into this field, the further I'm like, like, wow, we have a, a long way to go. That's evil. Yeah. Like I did a whole episode on funding your fertility and I I discovered the, I mean, there's also just massive financial consequences for miscarriage too, you know, like not all plans cover a DNC or lab, like you said, lab work. It's just, it's so wrong. It just feels so wrong. Yeah, the fact that you have to pay thousands of dollars to get a DNC if your insurance doesn't cover it. It's like, it. I, I like to think that in a couple of years, hopefully, you know, sooner that we'll look back and be like, 
remember when, you know, insurance wasn't covering miscarriages or, or, you know, or giving us the lab work that we needed to determine what was going on in our fertility journey. Like remember when we'd have to bounce from one physician to the next, because either they couldn't because of, you know, the insurance plan that they're under, who they're contracted with or whatever, you know, I think that we're going to hopefully look back and, and realize that what we were doing was, um, was morally, morally wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Dr. Floyd, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Have I, is there anything that we missed that you feel is might be important to, um, add to the conversation? Um, no, I think, I think that we got it all. Okay. Yeah. How can people find you and um, connect with you and possibly get some help um, for their journey? Yeah. So I, um, I'm located in Sacramento, but I also have online consultations that I'll do with patients. And a lot of it is just kind of us getting to the basis of like their lab work and their, you know, lifestyle factors and changing that. So um, they can find me um, and have an online consultation at drfloydrx.com. And you don't spell it doctor. So it's just drfloydrx.com. That's also where my um, my herbal formulas are. And I have herbal formulas for um, mental health, for menstrual health, for immunity, all things like that. Um, and then if you're in the Sacramento area, um, you can find me at Better Balance Acupuncture and on Instagram at Floyd underscore acupuncture. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here today. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you for having me, Millie. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week. Bye.